This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. All right, this morning I want you to come with me, please, to the, the book of Hosea. Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. It's the first of the minor prophets. And if you can find that, uh, then I want to begin reading from verse 1 of the first chapter and also the first verse of chapter 2, and then a little bit later, uh, just a few verses in chapter 3. So the book of Hosea, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And so he went and took Gomor, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Rahamah, which means no mercy or no pity. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and, not, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Rahamah, she conceived and bore a son, then God said, Call his name, Lo am I, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it has been said to them, You are not my people. Then it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. The prophet Isaiah, sorry, the prophet Hosea, has often been called the prophet of grace. And this particular story, again, has often been called the greatest story in the Old Testament. Now many a man and many a woman has unwittingly married an unfaithful partner. Many a man or a woman has married a partner who became unfaithful at some point in their marriage. But this preacher was told by God to deliberately, consciously go out and marry a prostitute. That was a direct order from God. And Hosea knew instinctively 
that she would not be faithful. And so it proved to be. But not only that, but during her unfaithfulness, <laughs> he was to stick with her. And not only that, but he was to love her in spite of her infidelity and unfaithfulness. And so this unfaithful relationship between Gomer and Hosea is a mirror image between the relationship at that point between Israel and Jehovah. Now, much credit must be given, of course, to this prophet for entering into this heartbreaking, heartrending situation where again and again she proved to be unfaithful to him, as we'll see in a moment. Now, the Old Testament prophets had a, had a tough job because often God would ask them to do things that were absolutely ridiculous in the natural. To do things that were just crazy, that nobody would even think of doing. Uh, for instance, Ezekiel. God told Ezekiel to cut off all his hair and his beard and then burn a third of it and then chop up a third of it and then take a third of it and throw it to the wind. But more than that, he told Ezekiel that the desire of his heart, which was his wife, would be taken in a stroke. God was going to take his wife and he was not allowed to publicly mourn, not to shed a tear, not to wear clothes of mourning, as if it never happened. Because she died during the siege of Jerusalem, and God didn't want them crying over Jerusalem because he would have felt there had been hypocrites to do that, the way they'd been treating Jerusalem in the temple. Jeremiah had to dig a hole in a wall and climb through it. Jeremiah was told by God, you cannot marry and you cannot ever have marriage and children. But I think that this that God asked Hosea to do was probably the most painful, knowing what was going to happen before it happened. You say, well, why would God do this? It was very simple. These prophets, these preachers had a message from God to the nation and the nation was not listening. They didn't want to hear it. They closed their ears to it. And God says, okay, I'll give you a demonstration. I'll give you a signed sermon. If you won't hear it, I want you to see it. I'm giving you every opportunity to realize what you're doing and to repent of it before judgment comes. So hence that crazy stuff that seemed to be that was happening to get their attention, for one last opportunity to get their attention. Now we saw in verse 1 that Hosea prophesied during the reigns of four different kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And also during the time of Jeroboam II, who was the king of the ten northern tribes. Now let me just, at the risk of of repeating myself so soon after last week. Let me just remind you of the, the situation that they find themselves in here as prophets. 
Solomon had died, his son uh, <laughs> Rehoboam, uh, he, um, because of his leadership, caused the, the nation to split, and he took the two southern tribes, which was Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin was very, very small. It was nearly incorporated into Judah. So it really became, the two southern tribes really became known as Judah. Then Jeroboam I, he took over the ten northern tribes, which were Israel, or sometimes known as Ephraim, because it was the biggest and most influential of all of the tribes of Israel. Now, Jeroboam I, we mentioned him last week, he, he didn't want, he didn't want, people to go down to Judah where the temple was in Jerusalem and worship there. And he was losing people going there, and he was losing priests that wanted to go there. So he set up two places of worship, away up the north uh, in Dan, and away down in the south in Bethel. And he set up golden calves and said, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And he imported uh, a paganism, a state of worship that was, that was paganistic, and it was awful. And they had temple prostitutes. And Samaria became the center of worship for them. And you can see why God was so angry. Because they had committed spiritual adultery with these other gods. And this is the reason why God is telling Hosea to go and marry a prostitute, a harlot, who would commit spiritual adultery. Who would commit adultery to him the way they were committing spiritual adultery with God. And so, unfortunately, the people loved this kind of worship. They wholeheartedly embraced it, particularly the priests. And it was awful. And no wonder God was angry and speaking through these prophets to them. Now, this was about 700 years before Christ, by the way. And at this time that we're reading here, there's three great prophets. Isaiah, who prophesied to Judah, and Hosea and Amos, who prophesied to northern tribes, to Israel. So God had three mighty prophets in the whole land prophesying and preaching and giving God's message, and they weren't listening again and again and again. They just were not heeding what God was saying. Uh, you would think when you had such three great prophets, and for instance, Hosea probably, probably prophesied between 40 and 60 years. So, I mean, God was patient here, but his patience was wearing thin. It was running out. And this is one of the last opportunities for them to, to get a grip of themselves, to see what they were doing before judgment would come. And so, in obedience to God, Hosea goes out and marries Gomer. And uh, he knew what he was letting himself in for. And soon after that, she conceived and she bore a son, said, call him Jezreel. Jezreel means two things, God scatters and God sows. So God was going to scatter them into other nations, but one day he would sow them back into their land again. And so the ten northern tribes were indeed scattered by the Assyrians some 70 to 90 years after where we're reading here. And 130 years later, after we're reading here, Judah also was taken by the Babylonians into captivity. And so they would be scattered in foreign lands, but God says, I will sow them again into their own land, that which I have scattered. 
Gomer conceived again. She had a daughter called her Lo-Rahamai, which means no pity, no mercy. And isn't the truth today that Jews today are seeing very little pity and very little mercy around the world? Anti-Semitism is on the rise all over Europe and indeed many, many parts of the world. Then she conceived again and had another son, Lo am I, not my people. And so for a time, God would say, you're not my people. And I'll have no pity and no mercy. You'll be cut off. You'll be scattered. You'll be treated badly. But for a time, and then God would draw them back when they repented. And so this is a story, actually, of God's great love for his people. Yes, because of their disobedience and because of their idolatry, yes, they would go into captivity, but in his great mercy and grace and love for them, he would draw them back again and he would forgive them. And so Jezreel not only means God scatters, but God sows. Isn't it interesting that since 1948... Millions of Jews around the world has been drawn back to Israel. God is up to something. He hasn't forgotten his people. They don't believe in replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel. God has got a purpose for Israel. He's got a purpose for his church, but he's got a purpose for Israel. And it's being acted out today, even as we speak. Even as we stand here, people are flying into Israel from all over the world. And again, Lo Rahama will be just Rahama, which means God will have pity and God will have mercy. And Lo Amai will become Amai, which just means my people. Those who were not my people will be my people. Those whom I had no mercy and pity on, I will have mercy and pity. Those whom I scattered, I will cause to come back again. So here we have a very obvious application with regard to Israel's relationship to Jehovah God. And that's one application. But that's not the application I really want to speak to you about this morning. Because there's another application. And the application is the Lord's love for the backslider. Because just as Gomer was to Hosea, so the backslider is to the Lord. Unfaithful. Unfaithful. But God loves the backslider. In spite of their unfaithfulness, in spite of getting to the word with their other lovers, as we'll see in a moment, God still loves the backslider. Jeremiah 3.14, he is married to the backslider. So you get the image here. So Israel would turn their back on God. They would worship other gods like Baal or Baal, whatever way you want to pronounce that. The rain god, the fertility god. And when it came, they, 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 you see, they, they would mix their Hebrew worship with this pagan worship. And it came time to offer up thanks, for instance, for a harvest. 
they would, they would have it on Hebrew feast days, but instead of thanking Jehovah, they would thank Baal. That's who they were worshipping on the days when they should have been worshipping God. They were out worshipping a false god who did nothing for them. Do you remember Elijah, who later on, of course, much later on in this story, remember how he challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the 450 of them and 400 other false prophets, and he challenged them. You remember during that famine and during that drought and how he took them up to Mount Carmel and, and challenged them, well, let's see how good your God is. Let's see if he can bring fire down from heaven and burn up this sacrifice. And you remember what they did? They cut themselves and they danced and they shouted and they bawled and did everything, but there was no answer. Elijah says, is he sleeping? Is your God sleeping? He was quite sarcastic with them. But then God answered by fire. Hallelujah. And he was showing them that these gods that you worship are doing nothing for you. There's only one God who can help you, the true and living God. And it's the same with the backslider. The only one that can help them is the Lord. But they turn their back and they go back and they worship other gods, not the bowels and not idols of stone, but whatever it is they're going to give their time and their efforts to, they begin to worship. It's like another god to them. So the world doesn't have any answer. No answer for anybody, certainly no answer for the people of God. And that's why John writes in 1 John 2, 15, 17, do not, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The Bible says, don't be friends with the world. James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, spiritually speaking. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. We're supposed to be a friend to the world, but not a friend with the world. The best friend the world ever had was the Lord Jesus Christ because he was a friend to them. They didn't affect him, he affected them. The trouble is sometimes when we become believers, we don't want to be seen to be with the world and we have nothing to do with them. And you know what? After a while, we have no unsaved friends. We don't make any contact with unsaved people. How are we going to win anybody to the Lord? We're to be a friend to them, but not with them. We should affect them, not them affect us. James says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. James 1.27. Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world. One translation says, don't allow the world to shape you into its mold. And this is what happens to the backslider. They go back, and before long, they're talking like the world, they're acting like the world, they're living like the world. You can hardly see any difference because it's shaping them into the, its mold. And these people we're being shaped into this mold of the world 
and the prophet was telling them, no. If you keep going down this road, you're going to meet with disaster. So Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. And even though he took her to be his wife, a woman that gave herself to be used and abused by others, a woman with little or no self-esteem, she was, if I could use the term, damaged goods. But yet, not only did he take her as his wife, but he loved her. God put a love in his heart for this woman. This was no academic thing he was doing. It wasn't just bare-faced obedience, and he had to obey, and he did obey. It was more that was deeper than that. He actually had a deep love for this woman. He loved her. He looked after her. He gave her her food to eat, her clothes to wear, a house over her head. They had babies together. He gave her back her dignity. He gave her back self-esteem. He did everything for her. He protected her. He did not abuse or abuse her in any way. And yet, still with all, in spite of all of that, she went back into the world and back to her lovers. She left her husband and Israel left her husband, God, who was like a husband to her and worshipped other gods. And that's what a backslider does. In effect, leave the one, the best one, the only one that really, truly ever cared for their soul and goes back into the world. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For their mother, that was Gomer, has played the harlot. She who conceived has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who gave me my bread and my water, daily necessities, my wool and my linen, her luxuries, my oil and my drink, her pleasures. Isn't it amazing that all the things that Hosea provided for her she said it was her lovers did it. Just that, just that Israel, when God blessed them with a harvest, instead of thanking him for it, they thanked their other God for it. Baal. See, backsliders lose all perspective in spiritual things. They really do. If you or I backslide, we will lose our spiritual perspective. In fact, that's the reason we do backslide, because we're losing our spiritual perspective. We forget the goodness of God. We forget the love of God for us. We forget that it's his mercy and his love and his grace that sustains us, that keeps us, that blesses us, and we get back to other lovers that we had before, the things that attracted us before. You will know that you're really backslidden if you imagine that the world is looking out for your interests. The world doesn't care about your interests. The only interest the world cares about is itself. 
That's who it really cares about. Doesn't really care about you. And we find out increasingly in this world that we're in. Doesn't really care. Take the big multi-corporations that lays off thousands. Take this situation with Carillion, where the, where the pension pots has been plundered. Do you think they cared about their workers? Not a jot. Not a jot. Do you think that these investors cares about the companies they invest in? Only if there's profit. Once there's no profit. But as an individual, it doesn't mean a thing. And so the world has a track record of only caring about number one. Whereas God cares about us deeply, intimately, lovingly, mercifully, compassionately. And even though Hosea was absolutely heartbroken by Gomer's unfaithfulness, he still loved her. He still loved her. And he was set about winning her back again. You can see why this is often called the greatest story of the Old Testament. You can see why he's called the prophet of grace. And then in chapter 3, uh, Gomer went from bad to worse. Bad job when you cover your sermon up with your notes and you can't read it in them. <laughs> Chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover. That word there means a friend or a husband. And is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Note this. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. Now things had gone really, really bad for Gomer. It had gone so bad that she ended up as a slave in the marketplace. Now, there were three ways that you could become a slave in those days. You could become a slave through captivity. Some foreign nation could come in, take you off, cart you off to a foreign land, and be their slave. You see that all throughout the Old Testament. You could become a slave in captivity. You could be born a slave. Children of Israel in Egypt, many of them were born in Egypt as slaves to Egypt. Or you could get into debt. We mentioned that before. 
you get into debt, then if you couldn't pay, as a Hebrew that is, if you couldn't pay, then you would go to whoever you owed the debt and say, I'll work for you and work off my debt. Or maybe your parents got into the debt and they couldn't pay, and so they, in a sense, sold you into servitude to somebody till that debt is paid. Now, in the Old Testament, you got free every seven years. When seven years came, all debts were canceled. Or when the year of Jubilee came in the 50th year, all debts were canceled, everybody was set free. So whatever came first. So it was a limited, time-limited period. But this woman, perhaps it was one of her lovers that she went back to. And when she went back to her lover, at some point, perhaps her lover got into debt that they couldn't pay, and the only thing they had left was Gomer. And so Gomer went up for sale to pay somebody's debt. And God spoke to Hosea and said, go and buy her. Go and buy her. Get her out of that marketplace. And so Hosea went to the marketplace and there was Gomer on the block. Now you have to understand that slaves sold in the marketplace were stripped naked, men and women, on full view. This was the most undignified humiliating, embarrassing moment in anybody's life. Sometimes they would slap them or hit them to see if there was a response. They would look into their mouth like a farmer looks into a horse's mouth to see what their teeth were like. They would poke them and prod them. They were just treated as beasts of the field often. And so there she was. And she must have been thinking, what a fool I have been. I had a husband who loved me, who cared for me, who took care of every need I ever had, and I left him for this. And then Hosea comes, and he's looking at her. Do you think he looked at her and thought, serves you right. You deserve all you get. Look at how I treated you. And look how you treated me. And look at your lovers has done for you. You deserve everything. Do you think that's what he was thinking? No. No, no. He loved her. And he loved her deeply. And he felt her pain and her hurt and her humiliation and her rejection and her embarrassment. And he just wanted to save her, to rescue her. And so the bidding started. I don't know whether it was one shackle or five shackles or ten shackles, but at some point, Hosea says, 15 shackles and a homer and a half of barley. 15 shackles is half the price of a slave. According to Zechariah, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. This woman didn't even fetch the price of a slave. 
That's how worthless she was seen in the marketplace. When her lovers had done with her, she was worthless. And when the world has done with somebody, they have no worth. So he bought her. And he bought her back. And he brought her back to his house. Hmm. The story doesn't finish here because there's another application, of course. Not only of how Israel treated God, how Gomer treated Hosea. The relationship between the backslider and the Lord, but between the Lord and the lost. Between the Lord and the lost. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, we, the lost, we were sold under sin. And that's an image of the marketplace. We were sold under sin. We were slaves to sin. Sold out <coughs> to sin. The word market is agora. The word acts agora which comes from E-K, which means out, means to buy out of the marketplace. You go into the marketplace to buy out of the marketplace. And then the other word is the true, and the truces is where we get redemption from. A price had to be paid. A ransom had to be paid for the slave to go free. And Jesus Christ came to the marketplace of this world where we were sold under sin and he came to buy us out of the marketplace. You see, not everybody who went to the marketplace to buy a slave had the intention of treating them cruelly or badly. Some out of pity and mercy went to buy that person out of the marketplace and then to let them go free. And Jesus came to the marketplace of this world and he paid, he who was sold as the price of a slave, he paid for us with his own precious blood. Peter says, not with things like silver and gold, corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb without spot or blemish. That's the cost he paid for us who were lost and undone and were sold under sin to make us go free. Whom the Son makes free is free indeed. Glory to God. Now here's a, a little thing we'll just wrap up with. Even though now we who were slaves to sin has been bought by Christ to go free, to serve him as his children, as his sons and his daughters. 
not as a slave, but as sons and daughters. But yet, and here's the paradox, yet the apostle Paul, knowing all of that, called himself a bond slave to Jesus Christ. What's a bond slave? Well, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 15, if somebody was a slave to somebody, say Hebrew, slave to Hebrew, and at the end of when the debt was paid or the seven years came or the 50th year came and they were going to go free, they could choose if they wanted, if the master was good to them, a good master, they could choose if they wanted to stay with that master and serve them the rest of their life. And if they chose that, the master would take them out to the doorpost and put an awl through their ear, make a hole in their ear, pierce their ear, and then from then on, that was like the contract. From then on, he would serve that master for the rest of his life because they were a good master. And Paul said, even though I know I'm a son and he loves me as a son and I love him as a son, yet I will serve him as a bond slave, as a doulos for the rest of my life. And because I'm a bond slave to him, I can't be a slave to anything else. <laughs> I'm no longer a slave to this world. I'm a slave to him. And so what a story of grace and of mercy. What a savior. What a Lord we have. And do you know, all of us, well, not all of us, but Many of us in here, within our family circles, an extended family circle, have backsliders that we know. Could be sons and daughters, could be cousins, could be grannies and grandas, could be mums and dads, who once walked with the Lord, but no longer. Who no longer come to church, who no longer pray, as far as we know, who no longer read their Bible. So what are we going to do with them? He said, David, I, I've prayed for years. I'm, I'm exasperated. I don't want to pray anymore. I've talked to them to I'm blue in the face. And they seem to get worse. I don't ask you to put up your hand, but some of you could put up your hand to that and say amen. So what are you going to do? You're going to keep praying for them and you're going to love them. You're going to love them as Hosea loved Gomer. Even though they're unfaithful and even though they're far away and even though they're in the world and even though spiritually they're playing the harlot, but you're going to love them. You're going to love them. Now that means, I'm, I'm not telling tales out of school because if she's here today, she could tell you the same story. And I've heard her publicly saying this in testimony. But our daughter, Claire, for two years backslid when she was at uni. And uh, I, I remember the day that yesterday, I was, I was sitting out in my back garden. It was a beautiful summer, sunny day. And, and I had my Bible in my lap and I was preparing for Sunday. 
she came into the house and she rattled around and then she came out and she says, Dad, I need to talk to you. And I knew exactly what she was going to say. I knew. You know, she hadn't been to church for quite a while. She was up there in Derry at McGee and, and once in a while she'd have came to the weekend and dropped in, but it was just a brief flitting in and out and that was it. And so I, I had a good idea what she was going to say. So she said, Dad, something to say. I says, okay. She says, I, I'm, I'm never coming back to church again. I, I'm, I'm not coming back to church. Well, wasn't a big surprise. Our mother and I hadn't seen her at church much anyway, so... But I remember what I said to her, and I've said this to you before. Remember what I said? I says, darn, I'll hate what you do as a backslider. But no matter what you do, it'll never stop me loving you. It will never stop me loving you. And she turned and she went away. You say, well, how did you feel about that? Well, we were... You feel pain. You feel hurt. Not for yourself, but for them. Because you know, they're going to be in trouble. Generally, it doesn't end well. But what do you do? You love them and you keep praying for them. And then, you know, you say, well, does the devil get at you? Does the devil ever get at you? You think he doesn't jump you all over you for that? Some preacher you are, some pastor you are, your daughter doesn't even want to come to church. How can you stand up there and preach and tell people? You just get that in your ear all the time. But you love them and you pray for them. And then sometime later, a couple of years later, she didn't tell this afterwards, but she says she was, when she was driving down from Derry, she says there were times I had to pull into the side of the road. She says I was crying that much. It's just at the start I couldn't understand it and then I began to realize she was under conviction. And then one night at Bible Week, uh, it was one of those times when there was lots and lots of prayer lines, lots of people getting ministered to and I was part of the, the pastors and the prayer team and we had a wee group around us and we were praying for different people and I, I noticed somebody shadowing me as I went up the line and I thought it was just some of the prayer team and then when I finished that and I looked around, it was her and she was crying and she hugged me and said, Daddy, pray for me. And she was crying and I was crying and she wept her way back to the Lord. That was over 20 years ago, and she's never, ever been the same. Never been the same. But let me tell you, that took a lot of praying and a lot of fasting and a lot of loving and a lot of, I don't want to know what you're up to. <laughs> don't want to know. Sometimes you were told, but don't want to know that. I just love you and pray for you. And then come back and then really, really, really went for God ever since. So many of you, and some who's not here today, that I know, and your sons and your daughters, they're not welcome with the Lord at this moment. And you have prayed, and you do love. And maybe you preached at them as we did, and then you realize that doesn't work. Because if they're brought up in the house of God, they know what you're going to say. They could preach to you. You know, lots of backsliders, especially if they start to take a wee bit of drink, they preach to their friends. <laughs> Honestly, can't get away from it. <laughs> can't get away from it. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Let's pray for them.
Can you stand with us just for a moment? Jason's going to come and lead us into communion in a, in a few moments as we finish, but, but just let's, let's just take a moment. You know, just a couple of years ago, Sally's sister from Australia stood right at this altar. I had just, I had just announced the benediction, and she just came right over here to this altar in tears, and she says, I want to come back to the Lord. And she's never looked back. <coughs> you know, she's involved in a church there and loves it. And, and uh, I'm her consultant, of course. If there's any questions, I get a wee email. And, uh, but isn't it wonderful? All those years, Sally prayed. All those years and preached out and all the rest of it. One time she sent her a letter and saying, if the rapture comes, we're going and you're not. I'll leave my house and never the car and you can have it. I think that was the flesh get in there. I don't think that was the Spirit of God saying that. So I'm not advocating you do anything like that. That was really scary tactics, wasn't it? But in love and in grace, let's pray. Maybe in your heart right now you can just think of a person or a couple of people. Maybe somebody that you are praying for. It's just fresh in your mind. Maybe even today you've already prayed for them. Maybe they're on your prayer list. Don't give up. Lord, today as we stand in your presence, with this person on our hearts, who at this moment perhaps seems so far away from you, that sometimes we wonder, is it possible to come back? <coughs> and yet we know that it is. You're married to the backslider. So Lord, in your love and mercy, would you send your Holy Spirit and touch their hearts? Would you send someone alongside them in the workplace or at university, or in the college, or in the classroom, or wherever it may be, in the workplace, would you send somebody that will influence some way? Lord, you have many ways to do this. So we're going to trust you. We're going to believe, because you love that person more than we love that person. Lord, you sent your son to die for that person. So Lord, in grace and mercy... Holy Spirit, reach out today and touch the heart of this precious loved one or this dear friend. And Lord, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how the Holy Spirit can do this, but turn that cold heart and warm it again. And Lord, if there's just even a little flicker, just like a little pilot light, Lord, fan it into a flame again. Hallelujah. And cause them to come back to the Father's side and the Father's house and to be full of the Holy Ghost. And let them be on fire for you, Lord. Lord, not only will that thrill our hearts, but how much more will it thrill your heart? Because you love them more than we could ever love them. So, Lord, we commit them to you today afresh. Lord, even if we cannot say another word, your Holy Spirit could touch and draw them back. So put a hook on their jaw and draw them back to yourself. Every prodigal, bring them back to the Father's house. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.